Anyways, we're continuing our sermon series on the battle of the thoughts. And if you think about it, thoughts are such a wonderful blessing. Uh, they come from God. In fact, being able to think is part of being made in the image of God. Uh, but within this battle within, we also know at times that thoughts can be a burden and a barrier in our life. And you can kind of uh, think of this sermon as a continuation to where Pastor Chris left off last week. Matter of fact, we're actually going to be digging into the same exact passage, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. Uh, so if you want to turn there, I invite you to do so. That's on page 1208 in your Pewbacks Bibles. Uh, but we're going to be digging in particularly into our thoughts, going deep into talking about our thoughts. And many of you know, um, my civilian job, I'm a clinical counselor, um, but I'm also an Army Reserve chaplain. And so I get to counsel people regularly. And there's uh, many years ago, there was one young man that I was counseling who came to see me because he was having all sorts of emotional difficulties. Uh, one season of life, he'd be highly irritable and lash out at people and yell at people and cuss out people. Uh, the next season of life, he'd be highly depressed and withdraw from people and would interact with people. Uh, and the next season of life, he'd be like energetic beyond control or he'd be doing all sorts of impulsive things and he just couldn't quite manage those emotions. And so as a clinical counselor, I'm very heavy on helping people relabel things in their life reframe things in their life, develop new schemas and thought processes that are going on. Because I truly believe that if you can change your way of thinking, then you can change your way of acting and feeling as well also too. And so one day during counseling, this young man had an epiphany moment. And we're talking about thoughts and his thoughts. And he looked at me and he said, so what you're saying is that my emotions are out of control. My thinking is out of control. And what that individual recognized in that moment is what we talked about last week is that the battlefield is in your mind. And that the solution to having victory was to discipline his thoughts. Uh, so today we'll be talking about disciplining our thoughts. In fact, if you're looking for a sermon title, the, the name of this sermon is A Disciplined Mind, A Victorious Life. So we're digging deep into our thoughts. And if you think about discipline, you know, discipline has purpose. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it before, but you know, a, a parent just grabs their kid and just randomly spanks them. And they look back like, what was that for? And I was like, I don't know what it was before, but you're going to use it at some point in your life. Just keep it with you, put it in your bank, and hopefully it edifies you at some point. And we realized, oh, okay, perhaps that's an incorrect way of discipline, because discipline has focus and intentionality and purpose. And if you ask most people in our culture, well, what's the purpose of disciplining your mind? In a culture that idolizes self, you're likely to hear the answer, well, I just want to feel good. Or I want to have success in my life. And we know that in our, worth, earth, in our earthly walk as Christians, it won't always feel good. Uh, there'll be times where there'll be suffering, and that's not necessarily a wrong thing. And we'll also know that there's seasons of life where we have to sacrifice our earthly treasures, and that too isn't necessarily a wrong thing. So as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, why do we discipline our thoughts? And I believe that we discipline our thoughts because victory in our thoughts leads to victory in our life, victory over our emotions, victory in our relationships, victory in our walk with God. And it leads to victory in our testimony, in our proclamation of God. So it leads to victory in our walk with God and our victory in our proclamation of God. And that's what we be digging into as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. Uh, so please, let's uh, focus our attention on the word of God this morning, picking up at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 10, uh, by way of reminder, page 1208 in your Pewback Bibles. And we're going to be camped here, so I encourage you to stay here today. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as account on showing against some who suspect us 
of walking according to the flesh. So he's writing to the church of Corinth here, and he's coming with this posture of seriousness and urgency to the point where he's saying, I'm begging. But he's also reminding, I'm doing so under this authority of meekness and gentleness and self-control, which starts painting this picture that controlling our thought life falls under this umbrella of self-control. And he's helping them realize that if if you stop thinking like Christians, you will stop acting like Christians. And if, if you stop acting like Christians, you risk spoiling your testimony. And so he goes on to say in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, and he's not affirming their sin here, he's, he's, he's literally saying now, though we walk in our earthly suits here, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have defying power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, which put that in your memory brink. Knowledge and opinions and arguments, that all falls under the category of the mind. And he goes on to say, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So there's a lot to unpack here that the Apostle Paul brings up, talking about walking in the flesh, talking about waging war, talking about destroying strongholds, we're talking about capturing thoughts. I'm excited to dig into this. Let's dig into this. And it's a four-point sermon with the first point being, our thoughts help us wage good warfare. Our thoughts help us wage good warfare. So in this spiritual battle, you are a soldier. God is the general. And God uses you, the soldier, to wage good warfare. And your mind directly impacts who you take orders from. Case example, Adam and Eve. If you think about it, you know, how did the serpent convince them to eat from the knowledge of, you know, good and evil? You know, it's not like, you know, this image we have of like a toddler sitting at the table and the parents with that toddler saying, you're not leaving this table until you eat that fruit, Adam and Eve. Or you're not getting tablet time until you eat that fruit, Adam and Eve. It wasn't an act of coercion. What he did was in the sacred space of their mind, he planted a thought. He got them thinking, well, but what happened if I ate this fruit? Or what wouldn't happen if I ate this fruit? And it got them thinking and ruminating about that, which ultimately led, led them to taking a command from the enemy and not from God. God clearly told them not to eat it. They ate it, hence the fall. And we are battling the same enemy who uses the same tactics, who wants to attack and hijack your mind, wants to get up all up in your headspace. And so why does he want to attack your mind? Because he doesn't want you to wage effective warfare. And what I mean by waging effective warfare, if you look back at verse 3, you'll see that Paul uses that language of waging war. He says we're not waging war according to the flesh. He uses this similar terminology again in the book of 1 Timothy 1 through 18. So let me read it here for you. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, is right into Timothy. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, And listen here closely, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So we see a young Timothy getting commissioned into church leadership. And the Apostle Paul is charging with the task of fighting and fighting well, waging good and effective warfare, dispensing and uses his time, talents, and treasures to proclaim the victory of Christ to others. And you too have been commissioned for warfare to proclaim the victory of Christ to others. And I know I'm looking at many people in here who what we would call you are veterans in the Christian faith, and you have served with honor and valor, if not for years, for decades. And this is God's reminder to us today that he has not pulled you from the fight yet. 
He still has you in the battle to wage effective warfare. And in this fight, we have to keep our heads on a swivel because the enemy is still after our minds because he wants to rob us of our joy and wants to rob us of our testimony. Which leads to point number two. Our thoughts can lead to death or our thoughts can lead to life. Our thoughts can lead to death or they can lead to life. What I mean when I say that. So back in verse two, Paul noted that the people in the community were beginning to look at the church of Corinth and figuratively were saying to themselves, it looks like they're walking in the fat flesh. You know, in our terminology, they're looking like a bunch of heathens is pretty much what Paul's saying here. And so once again, we see use, uh, the apostle Paul use similar terminology in Romans eight verses four through six. And I love Romans eight. I'm glad that Pastor Chris read from it this morning because it is a powerful verse. And so let me read it out loud to you. Listen closely to this. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we're not called to walk in the flesh. We're called to walk in the spirit. Now watch this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. So where your mind goes, your feet will follow. If you place your mind on the flesh, you will walk towards the flesh. If you set your mind on the spirit, you will walk towards the spirit. And I love how he sums it up here. He says, for to set your mind on the flesh is death. We have to pause here for a bit. You know, why does the apostle Paul have to remind us that to set our mind on the flesh, to walk in sin is death? I mean, that's like Sunday school 101 stuff, right? We know this stuff. We get this stuff. Why believe that he reminds us because like in the garden, the enemy is crafty and convincing us that traveling down that path is right. It just feels right. You start walking down the path. What's wrong with this path? I don't see anything wrong with going towards the path. Matter of fact, it feels good. Matter of fact, I haven't felt this good going down this path in quite some time. What's the point in walking towards the spirit when this feels good to me? And we have to remind ourselves that just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. And while it feels good, we may be like that frog in the boiling pot of water, sitting there thinking we're taking a nice warm bath. But really, we're at our demise, right? It's about to boil us to death. We're on our way towards death. And he's, he's reminding us. That's what he's reminding us. He's saying, that may feel good, but rest assured, it will lead to death. And by the way, what God has to offer you is far greater than good. It is great. And he says, but you set your mind on the spirit. That is the same spirit that is in Christ. The same spirit that's at work in you, helping you wage effective warfare. But to set your mind on the spirit is life. And peace. Now, I don't know if anyone here wants any life and peace. Uh, if I offered you life and peace, hopefully, like, give me some of that in my life. Because we live in a culture where there's chaos, right? We live in a culture where there's death. And life and peace is a commodity. And we're hearing from scripture today that set your mind on the spirit, and it leads to life and peace. And this idea of setting our mind on the spirit is connected uh, with the idea of having an aspiration. So there's an aspiration for your mind to be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Not in agreement with the world or the flesh. It's for our minds to be driven by the Holy Spirit and not, not what's driven amongst your popular, amongst your peer group. It's to be washed and rinsed in the Holy Spirit and not necessarily by culture trends in the world. Uh, so that way, we don't think like the world. Because if we think like the world, we will stink like the world. Right? That, I'm going to put that, as a matter of fact, in my house. If you think like the world, you will stink like the world. My girls, every day, they will wake up. I don't know if you see Notre Dame. They, sit, they hit the thing that says play like a champion when they go to play their games. 
above my kid's door frame. I'm going to say, think like the world, stink like the world. So when they come up, they can give it a hit and remind themselves I got to get my mind right. So, but, but I don't know if you've ever been around someone who has a good aroma to them. You're walking by them, like, oh man, that person smells good. There's been a few times where I walked by people, like, almost like, what kind of soap are you using? Like, what kind of cologne? It's Chanel, you know. Or I guess for guys, it's, it's, it's Hasselhoff Beach Spray. I was like, oh man, that smells good. Now, I don't know, know if you've ever been around someone, don't look, don't make eye contact with your neighbors here, but I don't know if you've ever been around someone that smells or that stinks. Uh, and perhaps, I don't know, maybe there's Amish haulers in here. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it is horrible to have a fresh-smelling environment and suddenly it gets polluted by this nasty aroma. And it is the same way with our thinking. Isn't it true that our thoughts can just stink up the room, stink up our mood, or stink up whatever situation we'd be going through in life? Uh, I personally experienced this, of all places, during my honeymoon. And I call this the rental car meltdown. And so my wife and I, we just gotten married the night before, and we're heading off to our honeymoon down in Marco Island, Florida, which is a beautiful five-star Marriott resort down there. And that's about an hour and 20 minutes away from the nearest airport, and so you have to fly in and get the rental car there. And I was 23 at the time, which, you know, you got to be 25 to get a rental car, so there's a bit more restrictions as a 23-year-old. So I got the rental car, which is a really good deal. I got it for like $25 a day, which is like a steal. I thought so, at least. I don't know. Who knows? I was 23. What do I know at the time? But I thought it was a good deal. And I called up my insurance to double check. Like, I want to make sure that I got uh, car insurance coverage. They're like, yeah, you got, you got a rental car insurance coverage. You're good to go. I was like, sweet. Let's go enjoy this honeymoon. So we're flying to Florida. We get to the airport. We get to the rental car place. I give them my itinerary. They're like, yeah, we got your rental car ready for you. However, if you want to rent this car, you're going to have to pay $60 a day in rental car insurance. And immediately I stopped and I started thinking to myself. My start started. It started spiraling a little bit. I was like, okay, he clearly sees I'm young. He's trying to rip me off. He's trying to take advantage of me. He's trying to ruin my honeymoon. So I feel my blood start to boil a little bit. So I question, you know, I question, I ask my press a little bit. Well, what do you mean I have to pay $60 a day? I called up my insurance and they told me that it's covered. And he repeats back to me. He's like, yeah, I looked into that and your insurance isn't accepted in the state of Florida. And now my thoughts really start to spiral. First of all, my spending budget is only like $100 a day because <laughs> we're young and we don't have any money. And something to yourself, they're cutting to half of my budget. I am trying to get my wife, my bride of 12 hours to a hotel where heaven awaits us. Where we're going to have lobster on the beach and have like those massages where like six people massage you at once. And you're telling me you're going to get in the way of that. And so I get really heated at this point, and me and this guy, we exchange verbal blows. I don't know how long it happened for, but we're arguing, we're arguing, and my thoughts are just getting out of control, and I'm stinking up the joint. And I look in the turn behind me, and then my wife of now almost 13 hours, uh, she's in tears. <laughs> she is crying. I've been married for 13 hours. I already made my bride cry because I got caught up in this poor me mentality. I was like, oh, poor me. I'm not going to have the lobster dinner. Oh, poor me. I'm getting ripped off. Uh, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me. And man, did I lay a big stinker in that rental car agency room. Which, by the way, I ended up getting the car. I had to pay the $60 I wanted to get to the hotel. Uh, but I thought to myself, like, what if God had called me to evangelize to that person as well? Like, how do you recover from that? How do you, like, argue and yell at one person one moment, who's a complete stranger, and the next moment say, by the way, have I told you about the loving kindness of God? Now that I'm going to pay my $60 to you, have I shared Jesus with you? 
and I realized I had not only spoiled the moment of that joyful moment honeymoon with my wife, I had spoiled my testimony. And I learned a valuable lesson that day that it is hard to live like a victor when you're thinking like a victim. And that's what Romans 8 reminds us of, that you can catch a thought that leads to life or you can catch a thought that leads to death, which leads me to point three. Our thoughts can either build or break strongholds. Picking up at verse four. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds or fortresses. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I know you folks covered this briefly, and we're going to dig deeply into this, because there's a unique feature about Paul's authorship and how he writes this here. It goes verb, noun, verb, noun, verb, noun. He says, we destroy strongholds. Sorry, it says, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. We destroy lofty opinions, and it's a continuation of thought that occurs there. So how do these strongholds develop in our life? Through arguments and through lofty opinions. So what are arguments and lofty opinions? So that word argument, it can be better understood as reasoning, like when a lawyer builds an argument, a reason for their case. And if you've ever recognized in life, as human beings, sometimes we can create these distorted and crooked and weird ways of reasoning. I witnessed this once in high school. Uh, so I was at a high school function, and one of, one of the young girls in a high school showed up to that school function in a very revealing and provocative outfit. And the school administration is like, yeah, we can't have that here. Like, you need to go home and change. If you can't change, you can't be at the school function. So she went home. And about 30 minutes later, she came back with her mom unchanged. And you could tell in the mom's face that she was not looking to apologize. She was looking for a fight. And so they went to school administration, and she was like, how dare you send my kid home? That is my daughter's body, and she is free to express herself how she wants to express herself. And if she wants to come to school naked, by golly, she will come to school naked, and you got nothing to give. She gave him the snap, and you got nothing to say about that. And you don't have to be too old to realize that there's something twisted about that way of thinking. Uh, there's some unsound logic going on there. And I don't want to be judgmental because I have my own distorted and twisted reasonings that go on in my life as well. But that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. So we've got the arguments. we also got the lofty opinions. And lofty opinions isn't always thinking too highly of yourself, but it's also giving too much weight to your way of thinking. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of thinking that you see as being superior and greater, and therefore it holds more weight in your life, and therefore it holds more influence over us as well. And keep in mind here that the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual warfare, so it's only fitting that he uses military terminology, and that word razor, when it says, you know, we raise up these uh, arguments and lofty opinions, that word raised against the knowledge of God is a military term to describe building cover and protection. So think about it like this, you know, if you think about football, you got those linemen there, and they're there to cover and protect the quarterback. They're blocking the defenders from getting to the quarterback. Likewise, we have these distorted, twisted thoughts, these lofty and fixated ways of thinking that set up camps in our minds, that nest in our minds, and it infiltrates various aspects of our life. And these thoughts block the knowledge of God from getting into our minds blocks the knowledge of God from reigning supreme in our minds and having the most impact in our lives. And so let's camp just here just for a bit because this is profoundly connected on what it means to experience the joy of Christ in your life and proclaim the joy of Christ to others. 
Uh, so let me show you what I mean. Let, let's look at the implications it has for you first at an individual level. So the enemy wants to feed you all sorts of twisted, distorted, and inaccurate thoughts about yourself. Thoughts like you're not enough. Or thoughts that you're worthless and not lovable. Thoughts that you're incapable or even thoughts that maybe you are too capable and you don't need anything or need anyone. And you have to ask yourself, what thoughts will carry the most weight in your life and have most impact in your life? The thoughts that the enemy and the world's feeding you or the thoughts that God has about you? I like that song, whose report will you believe? Will we believe the report of the Lord that says you are his and you are loved? And for some of us here, sometimes the thoughts we have about ourselves, it takes us to dark and lonely places, those places of hopelessness where you may even question your life's purpose. And if that's you today, I hope this truth reigns supreme in your mind, that God sees you where you're at in your hurt and your pain. He sees you where you are at. He's the God that sees, and he understands that as a human, you have your frailties and your weaknesses. And like a parent that loves a child, God loves you more than you could possibly know. And God has no intentions on shaming you. We do not serve a shaming God. We serve a loving God. In fact, God has a wonderful plan for you that is divinely beautiful. And he desires you to have victory in your mind and victory in your life and victory over your circumstances because he is the God of victory. And he will walk alongside you through it all. He doesn't want you to go through it alone. And your thoughts may be so troublesome that you may even need pastoral counseling or even professional help. And if so, let me validate this morning. That is an honorable way to fight the war against your thoughts. And it is an honorable way to break the strongholds in your mind. And it is far more effective than trying to fight alone. So that's the battle of self there. Now, now let's shift our attention to the battle of others. Now, now isn't it true that the enemy wants us to think all sorts of twisted and distorted ways about others? I don't know if you've ever had an unholy thought towards others. I know I certainly have. And the, the enemy's had wrecked havoc in marriages and relationships and family life and community life and across the whole world by getting one person to think unholy about another person. And if we think about it, some of the worst atrocities that have occurred throughout the history of this world has occurred because one person or people group has had an unholy thought about another person or people group. So what type of thoughts do you have towards others? Do you have jealous thoughts? Or perhaps there's lustful thoughts? Perhaps there's even bitter thoughts? Thoughts that, as Romans 8 would remind us, lead to death and destruction? And let me ask you this. What would occur if we started thinking about others through a gospel lens? Let me show you what I mean. When we have experienced the grace of God, and realize that we were wretched, deserving of death, yet God sent down his son Jesus to die for us and save us, and that God loves us, but God also loves his other children as well, and that God wants them to experience the love of Christ through you, which is why he has placed you where you're at to show the love of Christ to them, your perspective about people starts to change. Suddenly all that bitterness starts to go away, and that selfishness starts to go away, and that jealousy, and that lust, and that unforgiveness, it starts to go away. And do you know what it does? It opens the door for you to wage good warfare. Now you've gotten to the point where you can really invest into someone's life and show them the love of Jesus, and people can see the love of Christ through you. So perhaps if you are struggling with your thoughts about how you view yourself or how you view others— It's time to change those fixated and distorted and twisted ways of thinking 
It's time to break down those strongholds that lead to death and instead develop these new ways of thinking. Uh, these patterns of thinking that are focused on God's works and God's words. The psalmist says, we are to keep God's words in our heart and meditate on it day and night. He also says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So day and night, night and day, all the time, we are to think about the works and the words of God's. And there are many things to dwell on throughout the day. Many things. I, usually I dwell on sports. Like I'm wondering right today, like right now, I'm dwelling on, I wonder if the Cavs are going to tap the series 2-2 today. Or you can be dwelling, I wonder what my financial account looks like today, how my investments are doing today. I wonder about the current affairs of what's going on in the nation or in the current affairs going on in my family. We're dwelling, dwelling on all sorts of things. We are called to dwell in God's works and God's words day and night and night and day. I, mean, I don't know if you ever heard of the word neuroplasticity. Neuro meaning mind, plasticity meaning moldability or changeability. So it's, it's a neurological term used to describe the brain's capability to change and to grow and develop new pathways, new ways of thinking, pathways and ways of thinking. So as you dwell on something more and more, it increases that likelihood that your thoughts will travel down that new path that is created. It's kind of always compared to like hiking down a trail. If you hike down a trail, the more often you hike down it, the smoother that trail becomes, the easier to find and the easier it is to take. And it's the same way with our thinking. If we meditate and dwell on human reason and lofty opinions, that's the pathway our brain wants to take. But if we meditate on God's works, and God's words, then that's the pathway that our brain wants to take. So when situations arise, and when stresses arise, and when the enemy sending you all sorts of fiery darts at you and bombarding you with all sorts of attacks, your thoughts will go where you have trained it to go. And like I said, where your thoughts go, your feet follow as well. Which is why it is so important to monitor what you allow and who you allow to influence your way of thinking. And that, that's a powerful sentence in today's culture uh, where, where there's politicians and all sorts of other people saying all sorts of things. And we are to monitor, strictly monitor what we allow and who we allow to influence our way of thinking. And if your mind has been saturated in the truth of God's works and God's words, when life's crisis hits you, you will find victory and you will find joy and you'll find peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of chaos and trouble. Uh, which leads me to my final point today. We have victory and joy when we capture our thoughts and continue in Christ. He finishes off in verse 5 and 6, Pastor, uh, the Apostle Paul, by saying, And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Uh, so let me ask you the question, do you have your thoughts captive or do your thoughts have you captive? Because uh, if you notice a thought that comes from the enemy that's setting up camp and nesting in your brain, this is what we call in the military a seek and destroy mission. Uh, there's a temptation there to just kind of want to harbor those thoughts, right? We want to ruminate them. You're sitting, laying in bed at night, just spinning over and over again, thinking about these thoughts. We're playing them in our head like a broken record sometimes. Uh, that's not what we were instructed to here to do. We were instructed to capture and destroy those unhealthy thoughts. We were caught to shift our thoughts to the works and words of God, to set our mind on the spirit, the path that leads to life, where Romans 12, 2 refers to as the renewing of our mind. And we continue down that pathway. We don't go back to that other path. It may feel good. It may look good. It leads to death. We continue down the path that leads towards life and peace. And I like what Philippians 4, 8 says. It's such a strong passage about thinking. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. Think about these things. And that word think there, it is a command verb from God. That's not an optional verb from God. That's not something you do. That's not a part-time verb from God. This is a command verb. And also that word think, the, the, the Greek tense that's used in, means this is something you do now. And this is something you do continually. You continually think and dwell on that which is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. All those thoughts that bring us life and peace. And in this way, we are training our thoughts. We are disciplining our thoughts. And, you know, that, that last verse in verse 6 is kind of an odd comment. It's like, where does this verse come from? Where he says, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. It's like, what does that have to do with thoughts? We think about the purpose of punishing disobedience, like with your kids. Uh, you are to correct and continue. You want to correct the disobedience so that they can continue in obedience. And it's the same way with our thinking. We want to correct our wrongful thinking and continue in righteous thinking. And this is what keeps us engaged in the fight. This is what helps us fight well in this battle that we're in. And by the way, you are not in this fight alone. All these people here, these people have been commissioned by God to fight alongside you as well. And disciplining our minds is a group responsibility. That is a group effort, folks. Which is why it's so important, like what we're doing this morning, to not forsake the assembly, to attend church, to ensure that you're involved. And by the way, the enemy just doesn't attack people on Sundays. The enemy does work, not just weekends, but Mondays to Fridays as well and Saturdays as well. And he's always after your minds, which is why it's so important to stay connected with like small groups and prayer groups and be discipled. Or in some of your cases, you folks have a lot of biblical and life wisdom to be the discipler because young folks such as myself have a lot of lofty ways of thinking. And we need you to help us untwist those thoughts in our minds. And it is a group effort. You just have to surround yourselves with people who have those biblical lens. I don't know if you've ever been going through a life situation before and you're seeking advice from people and you come across that person who just can view things through a spirit-filled and biblical lens. It is like refreshing to hear that biblical perspective that they have. Those are the type of people we need to surround ourselves by and those are the type of people we need to be because the battle for our mind is a group effort. I don't know if you ever watched those uh, National Geographic shows where the lion's hunting the antelope. And you see that one antelope that breaks away from the pack. And then you see the lion's head come up from the brushes like this, and they're looking around. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And the lion's licking its chops, and it's thinking to itself, i got a clear path at this antelope. When we don't surround ourselves with people that have a biblical perspective and a spirit-filled perspective, we're kind of like that antelope. We stray off. And the enemy's licking his chops, thinking to himself, I got a free path at their mind. Watch the havoc that I'm going to wreck. So we're in this fight together. We got to stay connected together and fight for our thoughts together. You also got to be willing to let people correct your stinking thinking, folks. And let me tell you, that is a hard thing to do. You ever have someone challenge your way of thinking? I know I have before. Usually if someone challenges my way of thinking, one of two things happens. I become dismissive. Like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll listen to what you're saying. And really, my mind, like, I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm just pretending like I'm hearing what they're saying, but I'm just going on thinking what I want to think. Or I get defensive. Like, what do you mean your way of thinking is superior to my way of thinking? Let me tell you why you're wrong and I'm right. One of those two things usually happen. And it is hard, absolutely hard to let someone correct our way of thinking. Uh, but if you think about it, we let people correct a lot of things in our life. You know, we'll let them correct our spending habits. 
We'll take advice on how to invest money from people if we're investing money wrong. If we're at work, we'll let people correct our work behaviors. If we're doing something wrong, wrong, we want someone to jump in and say, you're doing this wrong, let me correct you. But usually when people say, let me correct your way of thinking, we're like, "Uh uh-uh. That space belongs to me. That is my thoughts. I'll think what I want to think. You may have heard people say that matter of fact. And we have to be reminded that our minds truly are not ours. It belongs to God. Our minds belong to God. We belong to God. Our minds belong to God. That's his sacred space. He wants to steward our thoughts and steward our thoughts well. So it takes a lot of humility to be willing to change how you think. You know, I once heard it said that people aren't willing to change until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. It's kind of tongue twisted. I'll say it again. People aren't willing to change until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. And hopefully we have the humility to allow others to correct our way of thinking before our way of thinking leads us towards that path of death. And so let's be the church that seeks victory in our thoughts. Let's be the church that helps others have victory in their thoughts. It is a group effort and it is needed so that we as a body of Christ can wage good warfare together for the glory of God. And as I conclude here today, let me leave you with one final thought. As I was reading through this passage, um, what hit me was called the warrior ethos. In the army, we have what's called the warrior ethos. Some of you may even know what that is. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. And I will never leave a fallen comrade. And as I read 2 Corinthians 10, I couldn't help but think of the Apostle Paul overlooking the battlefield of Corinth, which, by the way, we're in a battlefield here in Richmond County ourselves. And he's watching as soldiers of God are struggling in the fight, wounded in the fight, which there may be people here who are struggling in the fight and wounded in the fight. And they are deprived of joyful living and abundant living and fruitful living. And his heart is heavy and it is broken. I don't know if you've ever seen a fallen comrade or a fellow friend who's suffering, going through it in life, it is hard to watch. The Apostle Paul's heart is heavy because he sees that the enemy is all up in their headspace, that he has their thoughts captive. I don't believe this passage to be a passage of scolding, which is why he says, I come in the spirit of meekness and gentleness. Matter of fact, I think this is a passage of exhortation. I think this is a call to arms. This is a call to fight. And I can envision him saying, don't surrender to that way of thinking. Don't take that path that leads to death. Keep on fighting and don't accept defeat. When the enemy wants you to go down that path, don't accept defeat and don't ever quit fighting for your thoughts. The power of the risen king is at work in you and you have been called to have an abundant life and you're called to be a victor and not a victim and you've been called to proclaim the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Is there a greater mission than that? Put the mission first and fight for your thoughts. As an individual, you fight for your thoughts. The enemy wants to rob you of your joy. You fight for your thoughts. In your homes, you fight for your thoughts. The enemy wants to create division and chaos and dysfunction in your home. You got to fight for your thoughts. And in our church, our society wants to label the Bible as a source of truth and not the source of truth. And don't ever surrender to that way of thinking. We have got to fight for our thoughts. We have got to fight for those Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting, and Bible-abiding ways of thinking. We, the soldiers of God, are in this battle together. And as we fight for our thoughts, and as we discipline our thoughts, 
we will have victory in our thoughts and victory in our life and victory in our testimony. Bow your heads and pray with me as I close this morning.